Ontology, The Waystation of Red Pill Sanity Written by William Leo Translated by Deep L and a Human Read for you by Eric, Jenny, Mia, and many other bots Previously in the Ontology podcast series In pre-New Deal America, the government was essentially non-existent it was more like old England of the 19th century, or even before the 18th or 17th century, like the England of the Tudors, in Huntington's words. Such an America could not have played a major role in world history. The key to this significant role lies in two events, the New Deal and the Second World War. If you only treat this phenomenon as a dichotomy of the left and the right, you haven't grasped its full depth. The correct understanding is that it is in essence a Roman imperial nature. Season 2 Lords and Wanderers Episode 6 Building an Empire that Mirrors the Communist Party McCarthy was not a man with outstanding political savviness and sophistication. Yet, through the deep and real connection between him and the American fellow countrymen, he felt that these developments were not right and the good Americans should not live like this although he had no political theory and couldn't really name the threat he was facing. He called the investigative body he set up Un-American Activities Committee eaning that, our traditional American way of life is not like this. Our former way is very good. You destroyed our traditional way of life although I can't tell exactly what you are. Anyway, you are not like the Americans and you'd better get out of the United States. Ayn Rand seized the opportunity. She went to the hearings to testify and accuse those Soviet spies in Hollywood. Her success in this area was much greater than the success of her own private association, which had given her considerable confidence. But what McCarthy and Ayn Rand saw was only part of the whole picture. The real challenge for McCarthy was not whether he could annihilate communism. Communism was very fragile in the United States, it would be annihilated even without McCarthy and he had accomplished this task with ease. He did not see that the real danger he faced was that the threat to the traditional American way of life didn't not only come from communism but also from the force against communism, which was the force of imperialization of the US, turning the United States from Switzerland in America into Rome in the world. In the force of imperialization, the managers of Roosevelt's New Deal at he abhorred were actually the same bunch of people as his Republican allies. Therefore, McCarthy's final political career did not end up in the hands of the leftists that he hated, but in the hands of President Eisenhower of the Republican Party. How could that be? That has to do with the origin of the Cold War liberalism. What was the Cold War liberalism? It is a variation of the wartime United War Alliance. The wartime United War Coalition was an alliance of traditional American politics, communists, and whatever other miscellaneous rabble-rousing progressives united against the Nazis. After the outbreak of the Cold War, this alliance automatically shifted to a grand alliance against communism. Of course, the basic spirit was still that of a united front. What is the spirit of a united front? It was to unite all the forces that could be united against the minority. Even though Stalin was only more evil than Hitler ever was, we still had to unite Stalin and talk him up in order to fight Hitler, that's what it meant because Hitler had to be isolated as much as possible. Now that Soviet communism was the enemy, we also had to unite all the forces we could, and the left of the New Deal was certainly part of that unity. The Cold War liberalism that developed under Eisenhower, and was later carried on by people like Kennedy and Nixon, was simply an unwritten bipartisan consensus. That is to say, uniting the democratic left, 
which established the New Deal, and the Republican right, which opposed it, to form unity on the basis of anti-Soviet and anti-communism. According to McCarthy and Ayn Rand's thinking, the things that the Soviet Union subsequently did were simply the work of Franklin Roosevelt and those leftists around him, and now it is important for us to set things right and restore America's liberal traditions by knocking down these culprits. But that is not how history has actually developed. The actual historical development is that this group of people formed an alliance with those who opposed them. The late 1940s and early 1950s are a period of drawing boundaries and choosing sides. That is, the original pro-communists of the Roosevelt era were now faced with a choice, you could choose at this time to cut ties with the Communist Party by embracing only the center-left line of the later Truman Democrats so that you would still be a pillar of the later Cold War liberalism, if you refused to cut ties, then you would be classified as a pro-communist and there would never be any place for you in the United States. Many of the later American intellectual and political figures were leftovers from the 1930s who were actually more radical in the 1930s and many of those who disappeared after the 1950s. They were able to survive because they wisely chose to be on the side of Cold War liberalism in the midst of this great severing and ruptures in the McCarthy era. In other words, they declared, we are still the left, but we are the anti-communist left. The anti-communist left is part of the social democratic tradition in Europe who generally call themselves socialists or social democrats or democrats, in the US they have to call themselves liberals. So American liberals are in fact center-left forces that lean towards socialism. In the era of FDR and World War II, this force was indistinguishable from true communism and its fellow travelers. Thanks to McCarthy's uproaring, they had to make an effort to come clean. Those who refused to make the break were henceforth cast out forever, those who were willing to return were to form part of a new political coalition in the future. What McCarthy and Ayn Rand hoped for didn't happen. The main force of Cold War liberalism and their original opponents formed the basis of the Cold War consensus. This is Cold War liberalism. This is something that we must not attribute to political maneuvering alone, but need to realize that the New Deal not only destroyed the free market of capitalism as Ayn Rand saw it but also simultaneously gave the United States something that the original free economy had not provided it with, an empire structure. Whatever the motives of FDR and his friends, and possibly some of the leftists around him, or people like Harry Lloyd Hopkins, who fundamentally wanted a welfare state and had no desire to build an empire. But without this huge military-political apparatus that FDR had created, technical barriers for the US to become an empire were too numerous. The extremely large military and governmental apparatus rendered it very easy to be an empire. At the same time, because of the existence of such institutions, it is hard to avoid becoming an empire because the system itself had its own power. Let us compare it with China's situation. After the establishment of the National Population and Family Planning Commission, isn't it very difficult to abolish family planning? Because these people will lose their jobs. When Dwight D. Eisenhower used to work under General MacArthur, there were only a few people in his office and the American army was smaller than that of Bulgaria. When Eisenhower was president, millions of American troops are deployed in every part of the world. Wouldn't such an army itself have a great impact on the future political development of the United States? Together with the situation in Europe and in the world, these institutions made it harder for the United States not to become an empire. The imperialization of the United States was, in technical terms, or in terms of bureaucracy, military construction, and national role-building, mainly the contribution of the leftists and FDR rather than the right-wing Republican Party and the American traditional spirit.
Therefore, consensus politics defined positions for both sides, without the leftists, the institutions of the empire would not exist, without the rightists, the ideology of the United States could not hold. The American ideology was mainly provided by the Republican Party, which emphasized the traditional values of the United States and the qualifications as the leader of the free world. These were far from the spirit of the New Deal. But there must be material foundation under this spirit, and the execution of spirit must be carried out by institutions. To be straightforward, if you want to oppose the Communist Party, you must have an institution that can scare the Communist Party. This institution, which can scare the Communist Party, should probably mirror the Communist Party. It also needs bureaucratic institutions and armies as large as the Communist Party, otherwise, you can't oppose the latter. So the reason why Cold War liberalism could be established was its material necessity. It restored the head of traditional American ideology, but it was inseparable from the body that FDR created for it. Both McCarthy and Ayn Rand were unable to tolerate this body, they were destined to become outsiders in the political society of the United States. For McCarthy, this was very painful because he had a close flesh and blood connection with the American community, it was a great pain for him to leave politics. But for Ayn Rand, it did not matter. She was what I call a rootless wanderer from the very beginning. She had no flesh and blood relationship with American society. She was an intellectual and relied on selling her theory. She was very proud as long as someone bought her theory, she could go everywhere to sell books and could be treated when she gave lectures. Obviously, there were more and more people willing to buy her books, and more and more people were listening to her lectures. She felt like a winner. The achievement of American consensus politics had no harm to her. On the contrary, for an intellectual, it was good to have an enemy. She could constantly attack this stable enemy which was equal to providing her with a value of existence that would never expire. What was a failure to McCarthy was a major opportunity for prosperity to Rand. As we all know, the coffin makers are not afraid of death. To a capitalist freedom fighter like Ayn Rand, the best scenario was there was a bureaucratic base camp in the United States as the permanent target of her constant criticism. Because the Soviet Union was too far away, the American public was not impressed by the number of people who died in the collective farms. On the contrary, the public was aware of the facts that the federal government's bureaucracy was so lagging, and comparing with the tax they paid before, how much tax had been increased by the federal government. They were also interested in how many officials and soldiers they raised during the Cold War, every American grocery store owner clearly knew how much tax he paid more than his grandfather. With these facts, it could make Ayn Rand's argument very convincing. So what was disadvantageous to McCarthy was very advantageous to Ayn Rand. The main experience of Ayn Rand in the latter half of her life was basically the constant attack on Cold War liberalism during the Cold War. Cold War liberalism was liberalism on the outside, because it provided to the rest of the world at least a much more liberal alternative to Soviet communism, so it was called liberalism and fits the definition in this sense. But in terms of the US itself, the Cold War liberalism undoubtedly caused the erosion of the United States Republic and the imperialization of the United States. Therefore it was not suitable to be called liberalism within the US. The key that it could be maintained was the empire role of the United States. We must know that the United States is different from Europe, the prestige and strength of the American working class and the left-wing intellectuals is very weak. If they relied solely on their own strength, they could not turn the United States towards the left. 
The forces that led to the left-leaning ideologies of Europe might have come from European intellectuals, the bureaucratic class, and the European society itself, but these did not exist in the United States in the 1930s and 1940s. The main force driving the United States left-leaning came from the empire role of the United States. This was an embodiment of the uniqueness of the United States. It was of great significance to the world of the time, the present, and the future. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast series produced by Luminous Society. Luminous Society provides you with an alternative historical narrative.